Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Jordan Stokes with Stoked on Fishing Guide Service. And I guess this week's topic is going to be talking about early season muskies, but we're going to actually be talking about people that have been on the water fishing for early season muskies. Brad and Jordan both spent a bunch of time on the water this weekend, this past weekend. If you're uh, listening you know, right away on release day, which we have, you know, 17 people that do that. We're up from our usual 12 and, you know, we get a couple guys that listen to, uh, right away on Wednesday. And so you'll be a, a couple days off. This will be, you know, taking place right after the Minnesota muskie opener. So Brad, let's talk about it. You got on the water. Did you find some success? Yeah, I did. Uh, we ended up boating three. So a pretty nice opening day. That's for sure. We played with a few other fish. We dumped a couple. We seen a bunch of fish, and it was good. Well, that's great. Now, I want to know, did you record any of this stuff? I mean, are, are you one of those guys that, like, okay, we're going to film on these days, and these days we're just going to go fishing. Is that how you do it, or do you run in cameras all the time? No, I don't run cameras all the time. Um, cameras are a pain in the butt, so... 100%. Generally speaking, I, I'm not going to do that, right? Um, unless I have something that I specifically want to record for maybe social media or something like that. But no, I went cameraless. I think it, uh, it feels good not to have a camera going all the time. Well, that's why I was curious because, like you said, cameras are a pain in the butt. You know, you got to screw on with batteries and setting them up and the mounts and all that other stuff. I'm just like, sometimes I just want to go fishing absolutely fishing is fun it's supposed to be fun cameras don't always make it so much fun so what was what was the bait of choice this past weekend what did what was the must-have well it was kind of interesting um i i guess as we get into this episode i talk about it a little bit too uh one of the things that uh that we were doing is we've seen quite a few fish that were literally kind of just off of where they would normally spawn. And for the most part, all the fish that I ended up playing with were off the breaks. And I will say we've seen some right up in the weeds, but a lot of those fish were hanging just off the weed edges. And we started playing with the grenade. A grenade is something that I really truly believe in when you have fish that are hanging off a break line because you start your retrieve and if you're going at a moderate speed, it'll stay right in that water column. But if you slow it down, you can walk that bait right down the edge of a break line. And the beauty of that is, is you're staying in that strike zone, right? So interestingly enough, uh, Frank was with me this past two days, I guess, Saturday and Sunday. We had a fish porpoise. And when that fish came up to the surface, he's like, there was one right there. And I said, yeah, I seen it. And he threw right over top of it. And literally speed became the key. He was burning in a large hairy grenade and I mean, he put some heat on it and that fish lit right up and smoked it. And like I always say, you know, one of the things about that is if you catch one burning, it's going to be a long day because now you feel like you got to burn everything. But, uh, I did redeem myself with some rubber later in the day and, uh, just kind of started hopping that bait and literally caught one that way as well. So we mixed it up. We threw some top water. We threw grenades, like I said. We threw some other blades, um, detonators. I, I like big baits, even though it's the opening weekend. That's what I like to throw. So we threw MK65 detonators, the grenades, and then we mixed in some rubber. We threw some tubes. I, I'll honestly say we didn't move anything on the old Red Octobers, which I thought we would. But uh, And then... I ended up catching on an L-tail, which is a, a rubber bait that's nobody's probably familiar with. It's a unless they've watched Man's Ten Thousand Cast, maybe you've seen us catch on that. But uh, it's a small rubber bait and uh, probably ten, twelve inches long, and then it, you just hop that thing, basically like a Medusa or a bulldog, and that got the job done as well. We moved fish on everything now, Jeff. We really did. I mean, it was pretty amazing. The only thing I can say is that I thought rubber might have been more of a key, but it seemed like they, they definitely wanted blades, and they wanted that speed. That's interesting for early season. It is. It, it's not the norm, right? I mean, we threw gliders, and we I don't think we even moved a fish on a glider, which uh, I thought we would. But I will say this. Uh, it seemed like 
that speed was the factor. And I think being in the right water column was part of the factor as well. Well, let's talk about that. You know, I don't want this to be a grenade infomercial, but there's still a bunch of people that haven't heard of it, haven't seen it. You know, if you're burning a grenade back, how deep is this bait running? Well, if you're going to burn it, it's going to have lift, right? But what the beauty of the grenade is, both the small one and the large grenade, is they count down a foot a second. So if you count down to five, that bait's going to be at five foot. And what ends up happening is, is at a moderate speed, it'll stay right at five feet. Now, keep in mind, you kind of got to let your line settle a little bit. If you have a lot of loft in your line, guess what's going to happen? That bait's going to want to come up right away, right? But you count down to say 10. You want to be at 10 foot, count to 10. You start and you go at a moderate speed. It will stay at 10 foot until it gets closer to the boat. and It's going to obviously lift up with your line. But it empowers you to be able to bring that bait in at any depth that you choose you'd like to have it at. The one thing that I can tell you is that the beauty of the grenade is that it enables you to make long casts too. And the reason it is is because of that heavy head. The other thing that I want everybody to consider is, is it was kind of interesting to watch this weekend. Frank struggled with it for a minute. Is right before that bait hits the water, you're gonna wanna thumb your spool and stop it and let it lay out. Because it's forward heavy, a lot of times that lead is going to be the first thing that wants to hit the water. So thumb your spool, that thing will straighten right back out and then let it drop, right? You're going to free spool at that point and that's how you're going to count it down. And then, you know, working that back to the boat or most of the time, are you straight retrieving it or are you doing a pull pause on this? Straight retrieve. And you know, that's what I do. You can pump it. Um, Frank was doing that a little bit this weekend. He moves some fish doing that, but uh, generally speaking, I'm going to do it more as a straight retrieve. The beauty of that grenade, too, is having that swivel with the two blades on the back. Those blades, if they collapse at all because you're going through weeds, they're going to open right back up. I mean, it is like instantaneous. Those blades want to spin. They'll spin on the drop, and I've had fish eat on the drop. So if you're counting down that bait... It's kind of almost like watching uh, your bait when you're bass fishing. You see that line jump and you aren't in contact with it, make sure you set the hook because uh, I've had a lot of muskies eat it on the fall. And if you're looking for a brand new grenade, Brad, where are they going to go find it? Well, obviously at Team Rhino Outdoors, but uh, we also sell them direct, muskymayhemtackle.com. You can check them out there. But uh, again, you know, and, and the neat thing is, is, I don't know, there's four or five different stores out there that have four different custom colors. We don't do them custom on our own website at this point, but the standard colors are always available here at our, our website. Sure. And like Brad said, if you're looking for gear, you can check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com where you're source for everything musky fishing. You know, whether you're looking for rods or reels or baits, line, we have you covered. So check us out at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. All right, Brad, I think you got one more announcement too, don't you? Yeah, I do, Jeff. You know, one of the things that you maybe forgot to mention is rods. You definitely have rods available, and one of those rod manufacturers is St. Croix. So if you're looking for a new St. Croix, definitely check out Team Rhino Outdoors. The other part to this announcement is, is that uh, St. Croix is having their Customer Appreciation Day, which is June 17th. And if you have an interest in that at all, it'd definitely be worth your time. I mean, I... They put on a pretty big event. They have a bunch of different speakers that are going to be there. So definitely something that you want to consider June 17th. And if you go to St. Croix's uh, website, you'll definitely find information about it. All right. I think that's it for infomercials this week. Let's go dial up our conversation we had with Jordan. All right. Our guest this week is Jordan Stokes with Stoked On Fishing Guide Service. Jordan, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us fresh off the Minnesota muskie opener that was just a couple of days ago and you know why don't we talk first off history talk about your guide service your background a little bit what got you into muskie fishing one trip to vermilion ruined me for the rest of my life i started out walleye fishing crappie fishing growing up with my dad every weekend in the mississippi i fished pool four growing up so i didn't even have muskies around me friend after I graduated high school, decided to take me to Vermilion, and to this day, it's one of the biggest fish I've ever seen. It didn't eat, and from that point forward, I kind of quit walleye fishing, and that was probably six years ago. 
and that hundred percent of my efforts went into muskie fishing. And then, um, as of last year, I started doing some tournament stuff a couple of years ago. And then last year I started guiding in the fall this year. I got quite a bit, you know, quite a few clients and a few repeat clients. So I decided that I was going to guide this year. I still work part time, but for the most part, I'm all I'm full time this year. So that's how that'll work for most musky anglers. If you, uh, if you're seeing big fish <laughs> that pretty much you're like, yep. I'm done with everything else. This is all I want to deal with. Once you catch one or see one or whatever, it's a totally different animal. And, you know, I think we've all experienced that. Absolutely. And I will say that once I decided to musky fish, it took me almost a whole entire year to actually catch one. And that's kind of what I think got me so hooked is I got so frustrated about not being able to catch them that I had to catch them. And it just ruined my mind. That's all I could think about. And then once I finally caught one, then it was all over from there. That's different than the angler that goes out there and lands at 50 after like three casts and like, ah, this is pretty easy and they're pretty much ruined because it's only going to go downhill from there. So at least you had to earn yours. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That wasn't much different. That's how it was for me. Like, I, I think I've told the story in the podcast before. I spent, uh, I don't know, maybe like a half of a season trying to chase these things. And then over the winter, I booked a trip with Steve Jensen up there in Hayward. And I think, I don't, I don't think we ever caught one before that. It was me and one of my buddies. We went up and you know, we're in the boat with him for like 15 minutes and we catch one. And we're like, holy cow, this guy really knows what he's doing. <laughs> Turns out we were way off, but you know, <laughs> actually I've gotten to be really good friends with Steve since. And it, you know, it, it, but it, it's never been that easy with me and Steve since. So it was just uh, one of those deals. Yeah. 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 That's most days musky fishing. See a bunch, maybe not catch one or get one shot at a big one. All right. Yep, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about musky opener because, you know, both you and Brad spent a lot of time on the water this weekend. You know, what are we seeing out there on the water right now? Water temperatures, where fish location, what's going on? Well, for me, I didn't really know what to expect with this late spring. We had a lot of ice, a lot of snow on the, on the ice. So I didn't know how our, our weeds were going to be. And uh, where I'm at in the metro, it's a, it's a lot of weed edges, a lot of weed edges, fat, shallow flats with sand. Um, that's a lot of what we're looking for and then basin fish, but usually I don't see a lot of those real big post-spawn females out in open water until middle of June around that time. But I went out Saturday and got in the bays water temperatures. When I put the boat in the water was 72 degrees at the launch on Saturday. So I kind of didn't know what to expect, but I have a fish hawk on my boat because I fish walleyes quite a bit as well. So I dropped the fish hawk down about eight to 10 feet and the water temperature was 15 degrees difference. So yes, our water temperature on the surface was really, really hot. So the shallow bays, I don't, I didn't really find anything. And then maybe I wasn't fishing the right bays or whatever, but outside of the bays, these fish, I found multiple like mid forties to low 40 inch fish together around schools of crappies on weed edges. Like I'm fishing in the summer and it kind of threw me off and I didn't find fish in single spots it was all around the lake there'd be one in 40 feet there'd be one in 10 feet there'd be it was just it was kind of sporadic on saturday and we didn't do very well but sunday i decided okay screw it i'm gonna go out and see if they are in open water and the whole thing changed our i found the big ones literally like it seemed like they were staging off of main lake points and main lake reefs because they weren't on them, but we were keeping the boat in 18 feet of water. One guy would throw on top of the reef, and then the other guy would throw out the other side of the boat with a big bait. And that's what changed everything. I don't believe so much in the small bait type of thing. I have done it. I've thrown 22 shorts and stuff and had success doing that. But for us, it's a lot of twitching shallow invaders, twitching crankbaits, some glide baits. But then I'm throwing full-size 12, 14-inch stick baits or diving rises out in open water or tubes um the fish i lost was on a 14 inch stick bait on opener um so i you know that whole big bait thing i i kind of have this thing that i think some of these big 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 females go in and spawn they get so tired so beat up they go out in open water i don't think they really want to chase five six seven smaller fish i think they want one easy big meal and that's kind of what we got to no, I think you're spot on with that whole idea, Jordan. I've said that for years. And I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that get confused with some of the the, the old ideal or I, 
ideologies, I guess is the best way to put it, from things that they've read in magazines or seen on TV and so on and so forth. And, and everybody's brain has been convinced that small baits and, and small structures are where the where it's at for the spring. But I always have cut against the grain. I always like going with big baits. And I think that you're spot on when you say that uh, these big females, they want that slow, easy meal, and they want to make a big meal. They don't want to exert that energy. And I think you're, you're right on track when you say that. I kind of experienced the same thing this weekend. It's pretty bizarre. You know, I'm about three hours north of you. And the, the weather, I'm not sure exactly what the water temps were when I first got on the water, but they were hitting around 78 degrees when we pulled off both days. And I was a little bit dumbfounded, a little thrown off. It was cooking hot. Obviously, we were getting fried in the boat. I, I thought I was tan. Um, my arms are red now. So that, that's good, but, uh, really, really bizarre. And then yesterday, which would be Sunday, I was talking to Matt Seifert and he went down to Mille Lacs on Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon, evening. I think he had a walleye gig Saturday morning. So he didn't get down to Mille Lacs till Saturday evening. He went on the North end cause quickest place to get on the water. Right. So he jumps on the North end and he's like, not sure if his new graphs were working properly. He was seeing 81 to 83 degree surface temps and um, he was blown away. So he literally pulled up to a couple walleye guys and he's like, Hey, what's your surface temp? 81 degrees. Next guy, 81 degrees. And so then he's like, what is going on? He goes, this is just hot. So he made some phone calls down to the guys that he knew that were fishing on the South end of the lax. And they were sitting in at about 59 degrees. And that goes to show how things can change with south winds blowing all that surface temp all the way up across that lake. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But uh, unfortunately, yesterday, we didn't have any wind up here at all, meaning Sunday. And uh, Saturday, there was a little slight breeze. But man, that water was just getting cooked by this powerful sun. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. And we didn't have any wind as well. And a lot of our follows that we had them fish were way below our baits. So you knew that they were they were down deep, at least for, from what I saw. It's like I don't think they wanted to be up in that hot water. And I will agree with you because we had a little bit of an east wind on Saturday. So the west side of the lake was two to three degrees warmer than the than the other side. So I went over there and you know, found a couple smaller ones, but like I said, all the I, I see one absolute tanker in about two feet of water in the morning. But it was just it was just a swimmer. Other than that, I didn't see one big fish shallow. Yeah, I, I would agree with you one hundred percent too, Jordan. With the uh, the ideal that most of these fish were not necessarily hanging right on the break line, but just off the edge of the break line. I did see some sitters on some crappies, like you were talking about. Um, all three fish that we caught, uh, we caught one really good female and we caught two males. All of three of them were beat up. They were beat up pretty good. So literally, I think, you know, the spawn had just kind of happened. Now you might be a little bit further along than we are. I would say we're like a week off of, of seeing some really crazy action. Honestly, you know, I feel like we're a little bit behind, but man, that surface temp really screws with the guy's brain, right? I mean, <laughs> Yeah. When have we fished a opener with 70-some degree heat? And we were talking before we started recording. I remember, I think it was two years ago, it was 90-some degrees air temp. But I don't remember the water temps being this high. And I could be wrong. I can't remember anymore. But but I, I'm pretty sure it was in the high nine, or low 90s uh, during the opening day. And I'm like, what is going on? This is extreme. So... Hopefully this changes. The 10-day looks like it's going to stay warm, but we're going to start getting some cooler nights. And uh, just keep in mind, everybody, don't freak out yet. Even though it's 79, 80-degree water temps on the surface, we get a couple cloudy days and a little bit of wind, and, and you're going to see that temp drop really quick. I agree with that as well. Yep. Like I said, we dropped that fish hawk down, and you get past two feet, and that water drastically gets colder. Kind of funny you bring up the fish hawk. I have one as well. And I was going to bring it with on Sunday because after seeing what I seen on Saturday, and of course I forgot it at home. 
too excited to get on the water. It, it felt good to be muskie fishing again. That's for sure. Absolutely. I'm sore as heck, but it was awesome. Do either you guys use the fish hawk for you know, getting uh, depth on crankbaits, or Brad? Are you or Brad and Jordan? Are you guys both just using uh, you know live scope these days? Well, live scope is such a great tool for setting lines. I mean, it was kind of funny. Dick Pearson reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was like, "Hey, Brad, what are you using for line counter uh, reels right now?" And I just told him, I said, "Honestly, Dick, it doesn't even matter if your counter is broke on your your line counter. It doesn't matter anymore because." All you need to do is use your live scope as you're setting your lines. I do still use that, you know, every once in a while where I'll slide it. Once the bait's set, I'll slide it down and then reel back in and it'll tell you exactly what that depth is. It's, it's really cool. And then also, I use it probably more so anymore. I utilize it as a temp gauge so I can kind of see, you know, where's that thermal line? If you want to see where that is, you can definitely do that quick. Um, the other side to it is if you want to know five feet down what that water temp is, boom, you got it right away. How do you utilize it, Jordan? Um, so it started with me salmon fishing. I do salmon fishing, walleyes, and muskies. But for us, we have there's a lot of underwater current in big lakes. So for us, it was telling us how fast our baits were going below the boat. That's how initially how it all started. We actually do use that muskie fishing as well. Sometimes they want it three, three to three, five miles an hour. Sometimes they want it at seven. But well, I like to use it for water temperature especially, but I do also have two live scope units on my boat. So I, like you said, Brad, I do the exact same thing. That's how I set my lines. I have line counters, but I just pitch it out there and see where it's at on my live scope, make sure it's set at the depth I want, and then I spin it back around so I can see where the fish are going to them, and then I'll mark them and maybe spin back on them and cast. But you wouldn't believe, well, I know I'm going to get off topic, but walleye fishing, you wouldn't believe trolling, which is one of my favorite things to do, you could be going two miles an hour on the surface with your boat and you can drop that fish hawk down and your baits are at 15 feet, 15 feet below the boat. The lure might only be going 1.5. So then if you want to go two miles an hour, you got to speed the boat up. You might spin around and come the other direction with the current and your crankbait's going to be going a little bit faster than the boat is going. So you can really fine tune how fast you're going, where your bait's at, and like you said, the water temperature, the thermocline's a huge deal for me as well on Minnetonka. It's a big, deep, clear lake, so I definitely pinpoint that, too. So we're probably talking about two different fishhawk models. So I've got the little model that you can just literally, like, clip on and slide down your line. I'm going to assume that you have a fishhawk that's basically hanging off of a downrigger or something like that right <laughs> yeah so i took an old catfish rod my dad actually did it and cut it off and then just put an old line counter on it with a um braided line and just we clip it on the pole and set it in a rod holder right next to us it's like it, the, the rod's maybe three feet long and then you set it down there okay you set everything blah 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 and then you reel it up and set it back in the rod holder that's how i use it well, let me ask, is yours corded back to the boat, though, or is it all uh, wireless? Wireless. I thought maybe you were utilizing, like, what the salmon guys use on the Great Lakes or probably all over the place. But uh, where it's a wired uh, fish hawk, those are really cool because you can really, really tell your speeds like you were talking about, and it's instantaneous information right back to the boat. But it's, it's a corded model. I thought maybe that's what you were using. No, this one's like, you know, I, I got it. I was at an auction and bought it for like a hundred bucks. It was, it's like an $800 unit or something. Um, my dad showed me how to use it. Like I said, he's a big time salmon guy. So I just have it in the boat every once in a while. But yesterday with the water temps, I knew I had to check out what it was down below. So I, I couldn't tell you exactly what model it is. I just know kind of how to use it. That's cool stuff. It's just another tool that I think, uh, Several muskie anglers could probably utilize that's for sure. Yeah. It has helped us in, in multiple situations on like, okay, we're not doing this right. No, this ain't it. Or holy cow, look at this. You know, like the thermocline's right here, all the baits right above it, blah, 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 blah. Let's reel our crankbaits up. We're a little too deep or we're a little too shallow. So, yeah, it really, especially with if you're running big headlocks or matlocks and some of them run deeper, some they all kind of run a little bit different sometimes, so it really helps with that. But live scope nowadays has kind of been the once that got on the boat and then we got the second unit, I really, really utilize that while I'm 
either trolling or open water fishing. I mean, sometimes we'll find them trolling and just shut the boat off and drift cast with live scope. So not necessarily sharpshooting them, but we'll find where the school is and get on top of them and just kind of, that's, that's what I did yesterday when I hooked that really big one. And then I was solo and didn't keep the line tight at the boat when I reached for the net and she went straight downhill and see you later. I know how that happens. Uh, yesterday I had Frank Wita in the boat with me and he hooked into a nice fish and literally could not keep up to it. It just came straight to the boat and oh. we ended up getting some slack line and ended up losing one. But, uh, so yesterday was a little tougher for me. Sunday was not, uh, not as easy. I mean, we had some opportunities. We had some fish following. Amazingly enough, it seemed like speed was more of a key than, than not. And I'm, I'm talking putting some heat on the bait. That's how we caught the three Saturday. Uh, I take that back. We caught two with speed on Saturday. We moved some fish on speed Saturday. And then I, I was hopping some rubber and L-tail that uh, a buddy of mine down in West Virginia makes. So I caught one on that. But And then uh, Sunday as well, it seemed like speed was kind of a triggering factor. And it definitely showed us more fish when we were moving blades really fast. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what how big a bl- were you throwing? Double tens? Were you throwing big blades at them or nines? So <laughs> this past winter, I'm sure a bunch of listeners know about this. And I think you do too, Jordan. We built a bunch of hairy grenades. Yep. And Frank Wieda was the one that tied those for us. And we are going to be slowly making another batch for the summer here. But the hairy grenade was the ticket for Frank. He got two fish on it this weekend. And it was the big model. We only had one of them because we sold every one of them. This one was assembled wrong. The rear hook was a little bit different. <laughs> and so we kept this one. We weren't going to sell it to the public because it was built wrong. And honestly, it didn't matter. The front hook was was what was getting eaten anyway. So, but uh, moving them really fast, actually. At the end of yesterday, after the big fish and after all that happened, a buddy of mine hopped in the boat, and he loves throwing bucktail. So he was throwing a little bucktail in the front, and I decided to grab a shallow invader and try to rip the tail off, and just ripping it with a 10 foot rod as hard as I could. And that's we moved multiple fish, and one came in squirrely as heck just absolutely rocket ship to the boat and i that was like an hour before sunset i kind of that happened to me and i was like shoot i should have been burning this stuff earlier because i had like i said a lot of lazy follows where like you said brad maybe that speed would have got them triggered to go yeah so frank first fish this was crazy we were sitting in about 20 feet 22 feet and we're casting towards shore and that break line but most of my break lines up in my neck of the woods are pretty steep (laughs) He's like, wouldn't just pour it. And I'm like, yeah, I see that. And then he threw out across it, probably 30 or 40 feet. And he just like bared down rod tip against the water and just started burning. And he just got smoked. So that was a pretty cool one. I mean, what what's amazing is I've caught a few porpoising fish over the years, but this one happened to be just shy of 51. It was 53 and three quarter. And I mean, you couldn't have moved the bait any faster than he was. So I'm like, now we're going to have to start burning, you know, because you, you catch a fish like that. And the next thing you're doing is you're going, oh, God, now we're going to burn all day. And the opening day is not the day that you really want to be burning when your uh, back isn't quite in shape, your forearms and so on and so forth. And so forth. But uh, anyway, speed did work. There's no question about it. But I also got that one hop in a base. So they were kind of all over the planet, Jordan. I mean, honestly, we had... We've seen fish all over the place. And we're in shallow weeds. We moved a couple fish. We went out on the breaks. We moved a few fish. I spent a little bit of time in the open water as this week progresses. Now I'm going to switch over and start doing some open water trolling. And I'll have more of a report probably next week with that. But, uh, you know, I, I honestly think with as close as that we are to the spawn and some of the water temps underneath the surface, I definitely think that, you know, spawning fish are just getting kind of going again and uh we're i would say like a week behind up here in my neck of the woods so but uh there's always a few fish in the open water obviously and it seems like a lot of the the males end up there first and this year i just decided to, to cast so it worked out good i think we have a lot of fish down here in the last three years i kind of realized it i think 
this place, you know, Minnetonka gets so pressured and beat up opener. I mean, you couldn't, you wouldn't believe how many musky boats are there. And I, I, I just have this philosophy that everybody goes to sand, they go to the buoys and they just pound shallow water all year long. And I think there's a real big population, like not anything like Vermilion or like Winnie or anything like that. But I think they have a big population of fish that really don't ever go shallow. Yeah, I, I just, I really believe that. I, I've seen fish out there that, you know, I'm in 40, 45 feet of water over a mud basin and this fish comes in and, you know, in the middle of July, that looks like it's an October fish, clean, the, all the fins are perfect on it. It's like, I don't, geez, has, has, has that fish ever been caught? And that's, I've had that happen to me a couple of times out there and it's always in open water and it's always near a big piece of structure, not on it, but off of it. And it seems like you could go there at night. You can go there at the moon. You can go there and throw top waters and that fish won't be on top of it. There might be one up there, but that great big one, it just seems like I find a lot of them just hanging out there all year long. Yeah. You won't get any argument from me. There's definitely those fish that, that like that. Right. And yeah. It's amazing, too, as I've seen on some bodies of water that the uh, zebra mussels have really cleared things up, right? I mean, I've always fished clean, clear water, but zebra mussels have definitely made some changes. They've changed our weed growth. We're seeing weeds way out deeper than we used to. And I'm almost wondering if some light penetration doesn't become a factor as well in the aspect that I'm, I will see on my side imaging, I will see a monkey laying off on the sand and say 24 to 28 feet of water. And as the day progresses, I might bump out there and check and see what it's doing. And when you get to like two, three hours before sunset, you will see that fish will slowly start moving its way to the break. And then about an hour before sunset, you'll watch it and it is actually moving right into the weed line. And so I see some of that too. And I'm wondering if that isn't, you know, they're just hiding. They're trying to stay out of that light penetration in the water and, they also have a bunch of nice meals waiting out in that open water for them too. So there's kind of a two-sided thing to that, right? Yes. I 100% agree with everything you said. Cause I see, like I said, some of those fish, yeah, they'll just like uh, yesterday, right? Most of those fish were off of a weed edge and they were down. I never marked them on side imaging, never even saw them. So they must've been like literally in the weeds or right next to them to where I couldn't even mark them. It was and I think you're right. Minnetonka is clear as heck. It's nothing like you up there, but we got 12, 15 foot of clarity, water clarity. Well, when that sun's directly overhead and you don't have clouds for how many days, you know, we've had straight sun and like barely any wind for four or five days. And I, yeah, I agree. I believe those fish don't want to be beat up and all that by the sun. They just slide up into the weeds. But I do believe some of those fish just stay out in open water and they just kind of hover around schools of bait fish and stay there. And then when they, cause I've watched them on live scope, just not move. It's like, they're not even swimming. They just sit there, sit there. And then all of a sudden you'll just watch it tail kick. Okay. And then boom, it goes into a school of fish and again, goes back through the school of fish like real quick a couple of times. And then it'll go right back out and sit there again. You know, it's really impressive. Some of you know, how live scope can show you that. That is truly amazing. And the other thing that you'll see, especially if you're doing a lot of open water trolling, you'll see a monkey just off to the side and, and there's a big pot of bait right next to it. And I call them babysitters and they're just waiting for the time that they want to eat. Right. I mean, it's a quick, easy, that's their fast food, right? They're just sitting outside the door. Hey, it's time to eat. Boom. They go in there, they, they eat. And a lot of times you can, if you can spoof that, like what I try to do trolling wise, if I see a babysitter sitting on bait, I will drive through that cloud of bait multiple times. And if you can make that bait kind of like scatter and move, a lot of times that fish is it's going to eat something because it's like, Hey, I'm going to lose my meal. But, uh, a lot of times it's your bait that they eat. Okay. So can I ask you a question? Do you think like, what kind are you putting on a bigger bait than the, than what you think the bait fish are to sim simulate like another predator fish going in there to eat the bait? Is that kind of, cause that's, we kind of had that idea on vermilion and it worked on a great big headlock was we just, put a great big bait out there think i don't you know maybe i'm wrong but try to simulate your bait eating the other bait and then that muskie's like no you're not doing that and comes in and just smashes that or headlock i'm probably the wrong guy to ask because i'm always running big baits jordan <laughs> very <laughs> seldom 
<laughs> very seldom am I running anything smaller than 10 inches, um, especially in the open water. But yes, I, I do think that that's probably stimulating, you know, something going in there to attack. I mean, some of those bait clouds that you're seeing too are, are big lake shiners, right? Some of yeah. them are toolsies and, you know, the Cisco's are hanging out there and not all Cisco's are created equal either. And, and one of the tattletales with that is generally bigger Cisco's are more scattered, almost like a crappie when you see them on side imaging, right? They're spread out. Yep. The smaller Cisco's are going to be more of a tight ball. And honestly, sometimes I wonder if they aren't lake shiners, right? So I do think, you know, you run a 12, 13 inch, 12, whatever, a 15 inch bait through that cloud. And it's probably simulating that, that bait chasing some of that food that those muskies are waiting on. Yeah. I wanted to ask you that because we saw that up on Vermilion. You know, it seemed like that muskie was like, you know, you know, you're not coming into my dinner. This is my food. And then just like, I don't even want to know if we wanted to eat it or more so attack it because the way it hit was just, you know, so vicious. It was almost like it was attacking it. I haven't been able to simulate that again, but <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't have any 15 to 16 inch crankbaits either, which I need to get. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm a sucker for big giant crankbaits. That's uh, always been something that I've enjoyed fishing, and I—I don't know—I have success with it. So I'm always going to be running something really big out there. Right, so now, are you running? Are you running planer boards? Or are you just shotgunning them? I have regular planers. I have a mass system, and I'm always running some down rods too. And it, you know, the struggle is if you got two guys in the boat, we only got three lines, right? And it makes it tough. But fortunately, my daughter will ride along a lot as an extra rod. So now you got four. And basically, I will set up two board rods, one down rod with three guys. And if my daughter's with, now I got a, a fourth rod that I can actually experiment with, right? So I'm always okay. going to be trying different things. I might send out another board or we got the math system and changing, this, changing things up. A lot of times I like to have one bait literally just under the surface. And I do think that over the weekend, I think I've seen three fish that were sunbathing. They were literally right under the surface. And I'm assuming if I would have caught them before they moved, I may have seen their tail or their back sticking out of the water. And I've had that happen a lot, open water trolling as well, especially early. I think the, you know, the water is a little warmer this year, but there's no question about it. They will just be kind of hanging out there. Maybe they're digesting over the open water. but. Uh, I call them sunbathers, and so I like to have one bait really, really high in the water column. I'm talking a foot under the surface, and then I don't generally troll any deeper than 10 foot, and I will sometimes mix in some trolling girls as well. And uh, there's been years where 90% of my open water fish come on trolling girls, and then there's years where 90% come on crankbaits. So you kind of got to mix it up a little bit. Okay, cool. I know... I do, I do run big baits trolling 90, 95% of the time, but I will say that my, I'm a sucker for a 22 short SS with a square bill early in the year. I think that's like the closest crankbait. You know, I got them in multiple different colors, but last year, Eagle river, we were over there fishing and I mean, we, we it was, there was a bug hatch and all the fish went out and this was, you know, early in the year. And we caught four fish, bang, 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 just like that in open water on 22 short SSs. Because I, I, it, I think, you know, you get a big bug hatch or the fish are in open water, the, you know, the minnows or the small bait fish go out there, the muskies follow them out there, and that's what they're feeding on. Um, I've also had luck up on Leech Lake trolling 22 shorts as well. But anything other than that, like, I haven't really had much luck on any, any um, you know, medium-sized baits. It always seems like the big one gets hit. And it's a big fish. Yeah, that's interesting. I personally have not ran, I've ran 22 sharks, but not when I'm doing the open water thing up here. Um, it's something that, you know, I've used with Chase down in West Virginia and Ohio and things like that. But I, I like I said, I'm horrible to ask because I'm always big. I, I love big babes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably to a fault. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have that pigeonhole we get ourselves in with certain baits like i know it's working or you know the one that i fault that happens to me quite a bit and i don't know about you guys but you know you're moving fish on something but they're not eating but you keep throwing it because you're moving them where 
you know, maybe if you changed up just a little bit, you'd get them to eat. You know, if there's a, I, Ryan McMahon gives me a hard time, you know, how to go today. Well, you know, I saw three, four of them. Well, how many did you catch? You know, he'll give me, you know, just give me crap like that where, you know, it's, it's very true. There's a big difference between getting a fish to follow lazy where it's, it has no interest in it, but it's just looking at your bait versus that thing came in from 60 feet away and it got right behind my bait and waked up and then stayed in the eight for six turns. Like it happens to me quite a bit. Like what I don't switch, I'm seeing fish I'm seeing fish. And I think you should switch over and try something different and it gets stuck with certain baits. Yeah. It isn't always just a bait thing either. Right. Speed plays a major factor in that as well. And I, I've always said, you know, weather is Trump's all right. I mean, weather is the biggest key to this whole thing, but number two is, Speed. I, I really definitely think speed becomes the number two in this sport. And when you start talking about speed, you have to potentially utilize other styles of bait to get that speed, especially if you're casting, right? So, but uh, speed and trolling can play a major game and major factor as well. So, definitely things to think about. That's for sure. Jeff, you, you're kind of vacant today. What's yep. going on? Just listening to you guys talking about fishing this weekend. I didn't get in the water, so I got nothing to add to it. <laughs> oh, you didn't get out this weekend? No, I played good dad and went pontooning with my kids. Yeah, you're, uh, you're over in Wisconsin, right, Jeff? Yeah, I typically would fish like northern Wisconsin. Like So Eagle River for me would be like a 45-minute drive up. Oh, okay, nice. I, I love that system. I, I only went there once last year for the PMTT, and that was... I loved it. There's fish all over that place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's got a lot of them. I mean, I'm assuming you're going to Madison too, right? Yeah, we leave uh, tomorrow night. Or, yeah, tomorrow night. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch down there too. So there's size and numbers down there. I think I think it's a better fishery than Eagle River, but I like Eagle really? River better because it's, I mean, it's, it's the Northwoods, right? I like the Northwoods. Although I do have to tell you, I don't like the Northwoods so much this year. The mosquitoes up in the Northwoods are god-awful. So well, I heard that. I heard they're terrible. Yeah, like unreal. Brad, how are they over by you? They're not bad in my yard because I spray. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I see one mosquito in my yard, but I can tell you uh, Memorial Day weekend, Carrie and I went out bluegilling, and I jumped in the truck and I backed down, and she's putting the boat on the trailer, and I left the windows open on the truck. That was an interesting ride home, believe me. There was mosquitoes everywhere inside that cab. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I've been in some mayfly hatches and stuff like that. That is the most miserable time to try to fish. Mm-hmm. I wish we'd have a mayfly hatch. We haven't had one. I'm trying to remember. I think it's been about four or five years here. And so I definitely think that the mayfly hatches can help you it starts pushing yeah. a lot of the, the Cisco's out, you know, and, and now all of a sudden you know exactly where the Cisco's are and the muskies are shortly behind, as well as walleyes and every other species. So definitely something to watch for and consider. Yeah. And, I'll, and then I'll tell you the scenario from last year, and that's exactly what happened to us. Like you said, we had a bug hatch. We were fishing, pre-fishing the night before and driving around, and all of a sudden the graph lit up. Just And I fished Mille Lacs growing up for walleyes, and, I know all about mayfly hatches and blah, blah, blah. I've been in some bad ones. I've seen them get the snow plows out to get them off the road. Like I've been involved in that. So we got mayflies started coming up out of the water or yeah, they were smaller mayflies. I don't even know what they were to be honest with you. It was weird, but they started coming up on us. The next morning we went out there and the whole lake was just covered all catfish. All, I mean, they were just, all of them were just covered with bugs. So we just literally went just off the break line where it basins out at like 30 feet and pitched out two twenty-two shorts literally just to troll from one spot to the next and see what the weed line looked like and mark it off because we had moved fish but jake my fishing partner is like hey you remember fishing malax like whenever we get a big hatch like this we pound big fish shallow in open water and i was like oh you're you're so right so we we pitched 22 shorts instead of trolling shallow we moved out and it was literally I went to make a sandwich and didn't even get my uh, meat on the sandwich. And that rod doubled over. We got like a 40 pit and then turned right back around and caught another one within like 20 minutes. And we're like, holy crap. And that was when we didn't really troll. I mean, we were kind of had that, stu- you know, kind of ego thing about casting, you know, so we've never really trolled. And that kind of changed my whole life right there as, as far as musky fishing and trolling and, oh, why did I not catch fish for two days? 
well, you know, you got to, sometimes they slide out and whatever. So you got to troll. Well, we ended up catching four fish that day and it was just unbelievable. The next day we had a 20, 15 to 20 degree temperature drop. And we ended up, we died by the troll during the tournament. We thought, oh, we're going to catch them. Well, we had that huge cold front. I should have known. We all know every fish slid up shallow. So, and it, that was all within 24 hours. I mean, that's how, that's how much these fish can move sometimes chasing bait. I believe like the, you, literally we were catching them in six to eight feet of water. And then the next day had a bug hatch. We were catching them in 30 to 40 feet of water. The very next morning with the cold front, they were right back shallow. We never got a bite in two days. And that's probably where the passion and the love for the 22 short came from. Exactly. <laughs> yep, I, I, I got sleeves of them now. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's amazing yeah. how that works. Yeah, it, huh? Musky anglers with uh, catch a fish or a couple fish on a bait, and then they got to have as many as they can get their hands on. <laughs> it's a disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but truly, yeah. truly is. Jordan, you spent a little time in Wisconsin on uh, the Northern Opener, Northern Wisconsin Opener as well, didn't you? Uh, one day, yep. I went over, did a 10-hour just spontaneous trip with a, with a buddy. Um, we drove over to a lake near the metro, um, hopped on it, and those fish, it was so... We, we moved, I hate saying this, but we moved up its opener. So you're going to see a ton of fish, but I actually on a, you know, it's no bigger than a 1500 acre lake. I moved up absolute toad on a big bait in Wisconsin fishing over a crib. Most of our fish over there were surrounded in the crappie schools. Cause this lake is full of like eight, nine inch crappies. So we found some smaller ones kind of hanging out there. And that's where I think, you know, you go back, Brad and say like, you know, some of those males kind of slide out from the spawn first. Um, I think that's what I was seeing because I was fishing the mouth of, I fished this lake once before and it was for opener as well. And I seen them paired up and all that last year. So I went back to that spot, didn't really see much, but there was some small perch and stuff hanging out shallow. So I went to the mouth of it and we just went back and forth along that shoreline. Um, just waiting for one to bite. But like I said, I only had 10 hours. I had to work the next morning. So we literally fished until dark and then had to drive back, but we never caught one. But a lot of our fish were still, I mean, it's so weird to me. I don't know, but they were either in open water over cribs or on weed edges. Like you would, it was so weird to me. I, I felt like I was fishing in you know July, August, like where these fish were. And that, I don't know if they're like, they don't, I don't know if I was catching them in transition or if they were, kind of confused with the weather because that was another flat calm sunny day 85 88 degrees and i don't know the fish we had one fish that came in that i thought was going to eat and it rolled on my buddy's bait right behind the right behind me um but that was it i mean we did it was all lazy follows slow i did watch a guy catch one next to me that makes me feel great but he caught one right next to me about a 35 incher um all beat up uh, it, was, it was so that I don't know. I, it, it was, the tail was all busted up. The back of it was red. I mean, it was, it was really beat up. So I don't know if, I think we were catching them fish literally post spawn right away. I, I, they were all right in one area of the lake. We went to the other end and never saw a fish. We fished both shorelines on the other end, never saw a fish. And that's where the wind was blowing. So I thought for sure that we were going to see something up there because it blew south for two days before we got there. So we fished the north end of that lake, never saw a fish, went to the south end where the spawning bays were, and there was fish everywhere, but we never got one to eat. So they, that was I, that's more of what I thought I was going to see on Taco was like a majority of the fish in an area near a spawning area, kind of either post-spawn in it because they don't all spawn at the same time. We all know that. So I figured maybe catch one late or catch one coming out from it, but nope, nothing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I would assume that, uh, you know, that was a week before this past weekend. I would assume that that's kind of on track with Minnetonka as well. I mean, you're kind of talking in the same zone anyway, as far as weather and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of on the same hemisphere, you know, so the weather's somewhat the same. Like right. you were three, three hours north of me. You got a lot more snow this year than we did. You know, and it, you had a, you're a lot different up there than we are down here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like if I was to compare temperatures right now, I would assume you guys are hotter than we are. I mean, it's bizarre the difference. It's anywhere from 
three to 15 degrees, generally speaking. So it's pretty wild how it works, but you're right. I mean, the snow cover, I thought that we were going to see less weeds than I did. It actually, um, there was some weeds growing already. So that made me feel good because man, the last couple of years with all the snow cover that we've had the last two, three seasons, it definitely has put a pretty good hindrance on weed growth in the spring, especially with the late ice outs that we've been having. Yeah, absolutely. And and I saw the same thing on Minnetonka this weekend. There's certain weed lines out there that'll, you know, they'll get to 25, 28 feet and then cut off. But since it's been so sunny and everything, you know, it rises in the east. I went and fished the west side and could not believe how tall the cabbage was already and green. And that, 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 those edges were with the really tall green stuff that really stretched out and then shelved right off. That's where I, that's where most of those weed edge fish were. It was like, it had to be kind of like a two to five foot flat on top. Then you'd have like a cat, you'd have an inside, very distinct inside weed edge. And I fished that thinking, oh, that's going to be it. I never moved fish doing it. It was unbelievable. And then went to the outside weed edge and it was just bait, 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 bait. It was one of those things where when we fish tournaments, it's like, okay, we want bait, but we don't want sometimes too much bait. Like, you know, if you got a, a football field length worth of just bait, it's like, well, he's got to pick your bait out of 9,000 other baits, you know, other roots. So sometimes that's not so good, but the muskies were right there, but it had to be a super steep break adjacent to really deep water. Yeah, I, I've seen the same thing, Jordan. So I would say that, yes, we're probably a little bit behind you, but honestly, it's very similar what you're discussing. So it's interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, you know, this is a big, big learning experience for me this year because haven't experienced this yet. So it kind of, you know, this ever happens to me again, I'm definitely going to attack fishing a different way. You know, you learn something just about every time you go out and musky fish that, you know, puts you, puts you in your place or humbles you big time. Yeah. Well, you said it a little bit ago, maybe the muskies were a little confused. I don't know if they were, I don't know that muskies get confused, but uh, they'll definitely confuse us. That's for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. When it comes down to it, my dad is always says this, it's still a fish and it's a muskie. They're going to do muskie things. So, and I do believe I'm, I'm a big believer. So I'm a huge bow hunter. And, and I bow hunted my entire life. And I, I really believe that it's, you can have really hot springs, really cold, or I mean, sorry, excuse me, really hot falls, really cold falls, but my rut will always be the same couple of weeks. And I, you know, I've hunted deer where, you know, I'm sitting in a tree stand in a t-shirt in November and they're fighting and they're rutting in 80 degree temperature, you know? So I, I also believe the same thing with fishing. It's, I think sometimes it's more time of year than it is water temperature because especially when we're talking surface temps when you're in a deep lake it takes a lot of heat to heat all that water up fast so i'm i'm a huge believer in time of year um you might be off by a week or maybe a couple of days but they're still going to spawn around the same time every year it seems like to me because walleye fishing it's it never fails we we would always find walleyes spawning on gravel at the same time every single year and I believe it's the same with muskies. You might be off a touch, but they do, it's the same time. I would agree with that, especially at the bow hunting side of what you're talking about there, because I've bow hunted a lot too. And I honestly think that it's more about light cycle, right? The sunrise, sunset. And I think a lot of that plays a major factor. I think it was, maybe it was two years ago, I was kind of dumbfounded. I'll check the creeks on a bunch of our bigger lakes up here and and you'll usually get to see some of the walleye spawning or maybe the pike. And literally, the whole lake is still covered in ice. And guess what? You know, around that Easter time frame, that's when those fish are coming up those rivers and, and they're actually spawning. So it, it isn't water temp because if it was water temp, they wouldn't be doing what they were doing uh, with a, a ice-covered lake. No, I can tell you right now that if when I'm fishing 76-degree water in the summer, I mean, it's, it's all speed. I'm snapping rubber as hard as I can. I'm throwing top waters in the morning. It's a whole different, you know, to have the same water temp now versus two months from now, I'm going to fish 180 degrees differently. Like you said, now you got me thinking, Brad, about speed right now. You know, so it, I don't know. It's a very, I, it was a very bizarre two days. That's all I know. To, to literally on a lake like Minnetonka, which is huge and cut up to find fish 
on the east side, north side, west. It didn't matter. It just, they were all over the place. And that's what threw me off was there was no like, okay, they're, they're on these weed edges. So let's find another spot that looks like this and attack it. It wasn't even like that. It was, I don't know. It really threw me off. I'm, I'm itching to get back out there. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. Well, let's talk about getting back out there for, before we let you go on this episode is, you know, for both of you, what's your approach going to be in the uh, next coming weeks? Are you like Brad? Are you going to be spending most of your time in open water? I will be probably casting tomorrow. And the reason I'm going to cast tomorrow is because kind of what I see in the, over Saturday and Sunday. And then I'm going to maybe check the open water a little bit more on Wednesday. And I'm excited to start open water trolling. And a week from now, I have clients that that's what they are. They're trollers. They want to troll. So I need to get out there and do a little bit of trolling and seeing what's going on. Right now, I would say that you'd probably be better off trolling structure just off those main breaks. I think that would be your success rate. But if I can catch and cast, then that's what I'm going to do. How about you, Jordan? For me, I'm definitely going to go out and probably do the casting thing first because I did have, like I said, I hooked that great big one and lost it casting. I'm definitely going to cast first. Y- yeah, no, fuck. No, you got me all come. Yeah, I would definitely cast first. I'm going to pull up to my spots and probably fish early in the morning. I might even go shallow on the sand because for us, that is a big, big, big thing down here in the metros. And for whatever reason, then big girls slide up on the sand every once in a while in the morning. So I have to go check that out right away. Um, and then after that, I'm going to cast a little bit, but if it's, it all depends on the weather too, for me, if it's a high sky, really calm, I'm definitely going to open water fish and troll. Um, cause I really want to learn more about this open water trolling. Um, I've caught great big fish doing it. I've seen people who catch great big fish doing it while I'm struggling. So for Madison, I'm for Madison, I'm definitely going to go over there and fish giant weed beds right away. I'm going to try that, but I'm going to get in open water for sure. Pre-fishing, we're not allowed to use the live scope in tournaments, but I'm definitely going to use it pre-fishing. And if I see those fish out in open water, I'm definitely going to go towards that. Because um, this time of the year, I catch a lot of fish in open water, but I would love to catch them casting. Like Brad said, if I can catch them casting in any way, that's the way I'm going to do it. I only troll a lot of times to find spots, mark spots, or um, just fish while I'm wasting time going from spot to spot. But, uh, Brad, I agree with the, if, if you're going to troll right now, right away, I would me myself, I'm going to hug pretty tight to those, to big structure and next to deep water. Cause that is where I seen a lot of fish. Makes perfect sense. All right, Jordan, before we let you get out of here for these in season episodes, we like to finish it off with a tip to help people catch more muskies. Do you got anything you can offer up this week? Yeah. Um, I would say definitely a big piece of advice to people that are fishing where I'm at located, where I'm at Metro or anything. Top water for me works all year round. Um, for whatever reason, a certain top water, whether it's small, big, flat tail, prop bait, walk the dog. It seems like when we go out and fish with top waters and we, I threw top waters this weekend and had a follow. It just seems like when they do hit top waters in the metro they are huge fish and i've caught them in june on huge flat tails and really slow and that's kind of my advice is if you spot a big one and you don't really know how to attack it or whatever find out when your moon is you got to set you got to rise whatever it is and go right back on that fish shut all i shut all my graphs off so i'm not making any extra noise than i can don't stomp in the boat throw that top water as far as you can at that waypoint and just bloop, 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 bloop as slow as you can, like either at sunset or on a moon. Sometimes in the summer, and I hate to like say it this way, but sometimes in the summer it works like clockwork, where you'll, you'll mark four or five fish, you'll be on a spot, and then you go back on them at sunset with a top water really slow. It's deadly in the metro, just absolutely deadly. That's one of my favorite things to do with clients when they're in the boat is your throw this i'll even like kind of have the net to my side sometimes in case it happens because them top water strikes are just vicious sometimes all right jordan well before we let you get out of here if somebody wants to go fishing with you this season how do they go about doing that um you can find me on instagram stoked on fishing uh name is jordan stokes you can call me at 507-993-4545 or you can email me as well otherwise yeah just look me up on instagram and give me a call i do walleyes and muskies Well, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. 
We also want to thank our audience for putting up with us for another episode, and we will see everybody again with a new one next week, Wednesday. Thank you. <laughs>